G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. A conversation you might want to join into as we get things underway. You might even help direct where our conversation goes today as we're in the deep end in some sense when we talk about Christian employees and what sets a Christian employee apart from the crowd. Are Christians just like every other employee or are there some dimensions that should set them apart? There may be higher expectations of Christian employees given the virtues of integrity and honesty and trustworthiness that we may idealise in the lives of the followers of Jesus. And with hard times ahead, how does a Christian prepare for changes in the workplace? Is there an advantage to having a Christian work ethic Do the Christians in your circle of influence even know anything about a Christian work ethic? And what about expectations on believers who see themselves not just working for a boss, but as the Apostle Paul wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Well, our special guest today is Dr. Rod St. Hill. He's a Christian economist with a background in banking and higher education. These days, he serves as pastor at Ignite Life Church on the Gold Coast. Rod also leads Ignite Life Business and is a member of the Council for Business and Theology at the World Evangelical Alliance and is Emeritus Professor at Leaders Institute. Rod St. Hill, a special welcome back to 2020. It's great to be with you, Neil. Thanks for having me. Rod, let's start a conversation with your own thoughts about what might be ahead. Uh, We're talking a lot on this program about tougher times ahead. Are we on the right track expressing thoughts that maybe we need to be preparing for those harder times? Oh, look, I think that's definitely ahead for us. Uh, We've already seen that uh, many, many prices are rising, and uh, partly that's because there are supply constraints But uh, inflation has been building up for a little while because of very, very large and excessive government spending. So we really had to have inflation. There really is no way around it. In fact, the only way to stop inflation from happening really is for government to greatly rein in their expenditure. And our political system really doesn't allow for that to happen. So the only give in the system is really prices. And uh, we'll see inflation up to probably about 10% before it starts to slide back down again. And uh, what's interesting about that is that most people who are younger than about 40 years of age have never experienced a period of relatively high inflation. And with that, increasing interest rates and probably also increasing unemployment. So probably half of the people who are in the workforce today have not experienced what some of what some of us experienced in the 1970s, uh, the early 1990s, and even in the early 19 uh, sorry 1980s, and even in the early 1990s. Well, a timely conversation today, and as I mentioned to you just before we flicked the microphones on, uh, a conversation not about taking the baseball bat to Christian employees and bringing a sense of condemnation, but if we have tougher times ahead, Rodson Hill, and if inflation is on the rise and if that leads to a time of recession and those small business owners that employ the majority of Australians are saying, which employees will I keep and which will I discard? There is a sense in which we need to be talking about what it is to have a Christian work ethic. Is this something that's, you know, you've, it's been on your heart for a long, long time, Christian work ethic and what we do in the workplace? Well, look, I do think that Christians ought to be conspicuous because not only the quantity but also the quality of their work. So it's really important for us, I think, to be reliable in the workplace, to be the kind of people whom bosses can actually trust to get the job done, to get the job done well, and not to need really close supervision. 
I had a recent guest on 2020 who was remembering a former boss, and some listeners might remember a conversation with Justin Pagotto, who leads a fabulous ministry called 1010 Life. But Justin said his boss said to him, you're the only Christian employee I've had that works hard. Uh, We all like hearing that, but for so many of us, we'll often hear the opposite to that. Yes, look, um, I've had that experience myself sitting in the office of the owner of a fairly large company who said I'd never employ a Christian again because they simply spend all their time proselytizing and they don't actually realize they're working for me. But I I think it varies a lot. And, and, And one of the things we need, I think, to set right in our own hearts is that our work is actually a ministry assigned to us by God. I think that makes all the difference. It really hurts me when I hear Christians speak negatively about their work. And I know that not all workplaces are happy places to be. Not all work is good work in the sense that it enables us to exercise our creative capacities and so on. But I think we need a really significant shift. It's a mental shift, an emotional shift, and it's actually a shift in our spiritual understanding. Every single one of us is actually a minister in the marketplace. And those of us who are in paid employment, we're ministers in our own workplace. I think when we understand that, it makes a huge difference in the way in which we actually apply ourselves to our work. Rod, there's a context for a conversation where we talk about a Christian work ethic, and that might be the work ethic of Australians. And of course, this is, you know, very, very much a uh, a subjective view, and uh, maybe we're influenced by the last news report we might have read, or there was some sort of research survey that we've come across, and it's giving an impression about the work ethic of all Australians, and let's group everybody together, those who have a Christian work ethic and those who do not. And I wonder whether you've got any reflection on the sort of reputation that we have in Australia by way of our good work, our hard work, our smart work. Well, certainly if you look at the data, Australians are relatively hard-working people. Uh, We sit right in the middle of the higher-income countries in terms of our actual average hours per week of work and we're also relatively productive in our work. We have far fewer um, holidays, paid public holidays and paid annual leave than is the case in quite a number of European countries. Um, Obviously we work less hours than some of the much lower income countries where conditions are very different to what they are here. But I think a really significant pointer is the fact that Australians have a fairly good reputation overseas as diligent, innovative workers. If we go to America, for example, they love Australians in the workplace over there because we are very committed to our work, we're diligent, but also we're very innovative. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes, I think, undersell ourselves here in Australia because we've also got a pretty good attitude towards work-life balance in this nation. And uh, we could go down a rabbit hole here about talking how a reputation like that comes to a nation and we might even point to our Christian foundations uh, that show a level of uh, innovation that comes from honesty and integrity and we can point to Christian foundations there because I know there's a lot of people and uh, philosophers like the uh, wonderful Indian philosopher Vishal Mangalwadi who demonstrates this very, very accurately by bringing comparison to some of the work ethic that comes out of an Asian nation, uh, for example, uh, compared to what happens in a Western nation where it has those Christian foundations. So just the fact that we actually have some sort of good reputation like that, we can connect that to a Christian ethic, but that doesn't necessarily apply to every workplace where everybody's doing their own thing and has got no idea about that. So it could easily be lost, couldn't it? Uh, It it could be, uh, and I think one of the big dangers of Western thinking now, of course, is we actually want to dump Christianity altogether. I think that's very dangerous because there is so much good historical research that leads us to one conclusion and one conclusion only. The so-called West has become as influential and as wealthy as it is because of Christian thinking. There's no doubt about that. 
And there are many, many detailed historical writings. Uh, one I like a lot is Rodney Stark. The um, his his book was published a few years ago now. Um, it, it's actually called The Victory of Reason: How Christianity Led to Freedom, Capitalism, and Western Success. And he really talks about how important logical thinking which was introduced by Christian theologians, how important that has been to the success of the West. I think one of the things that sets Christianity apart from other other religions and other philosophies is that in Christianity, one, we know God is on our side, and two, it's okay to aspire to something better. And one of the things that motivates us in work is an aspiration to do better. That is, it's an aspiration we have in the context of our workplace, for example, to be promoted to a higher position where we have more responsibility and, of course, more pay as well. This aspiration to do better, and if you're talking about having a foundation for a Christian work ethic and what happens when Christian principles are applied in the workplace, I can't help but reflect here on the foundations for the invention of clocks, and of eyeglasses, uh, David Landis argues that clocks were invented because monks needed them. Uh, going back to those monastic days, but the need for proper time management drove the quest for something reliable, and clocks were the solution. So you've got monks who were obviously Christian, very devout Christian believers who had their own regime of work and the work that they were doing oftentimes with uh, work in their communities and caring for one another in the communal setting that they're in, but also translation of scriptures and all sorts of things like that. So clocks, a solution. Also the thought of eyeglasses. Uh, Once the sun goes down, uh, we don't have the sun anymore and things get dim and eyeglasses give you an opportunity to continue your good work beyond just the time when the sun is up. So these sorts of things, really deep foundations when we talk about Christians and innovation, and those times are not over. Christians and innovation in our modern workplaces, when you've got a Christian work ethic rod, this is something that can fuel good things here and now. Oh, absolutely. I I would argue that that's one of the great contributions that Christianity continues to make to to Western civilization. And uh, I think it's so important for us as Christians to realize God is on our side. If there's a problem, go to God for a solution. And uh, there are many, many cases that um, I've come across in my time as a Christian economist of uh, innovations and inventions where the testimony of those behind those innovations and inventions is that it was the Holy Spirit that led me to this solution. I have a son-in-law who's an engineer, and occasionally he would bring problems to us. And we say, righto, we're going to sit down and we're going to pray that God will bring a solution to that problem. And invariably, by the next day, he had a solution. I, there's a guy in my congregation, he's working on a, on a new technology And a couple of times he's come and said, look, we're really at a loss to know how we solve such and such a problem. So we sat down and prayed with him. Holy Spirit, show us the way through. Invariably, the Holy Spirit shows the way through. I think that's one of the great advantages that we have as Christians. We have a personal relationship with the one true living God. And if we lack wisdom, if we need a solution to a problem, we can simply ask and believe that the Holy Spirit will lead us to a solution. Sometimes we might think, oh, we pause for a moment and we pray. And that might be a useful thing. But the way God uses the gifts that he's given to his followers and the way our attitude is in serving him outworking even this commission that he has given to us, uh, working alongside him, hand in hand. He's got a purpose. He's the one who then uses the gift to be able to find a solution. Uh, And there's, I'm not trying to take the spirituality out of there, but God uses the gifts that we have, that we are stewards of, uh, also in the way that we see innovation happen. Oh, yes, he does. And I'm a very strong believer in the idea of calling, and also of, of assignment. And so 
God calls us vocationally because he's equipped us for that general area of vocation, but I believe he will also place us in a specific assignment. So I have a specific assignment. Everybody has a specific assignment. I believe that our assignment is knowable. I believe what you're doing right now, Neil, you're right in the center of the assignment that God has for you. Now, your assignment might change, but that vocational call, I think, is something that remains stable throughout a lifetime. So my fundamental vocational call is all about communication, and my specific assignment is actually to minister into the business world. That's what I'm doing as a pastor. That's what I'm doing as, a, as an economist now. But that is available to all of us. And I think the happiest people in the workplace are those people who are engaged in their in their assignment. And um, my, my son-in-law, both of my sons-in-law are, are actually engineers. I think they're right in their assignment. My daughters are in the middle of their assignment. They've been brought up, of course, in a household and in a church where this was preached pretty much daily, you know. And, uh, and it brings a great deal of satisfaction. It also motivates us to be very diligent in all we do in our, in our workplace, but it also sustains us through the difficult times when things are not going so well in our workplace, or indeed, even if perchance we become uh, redundant, we still have that firm knowledge that God is our provider and God is our protector in this life. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line is open 1-800-316-316. You're welcome to join in our conversation today. A question, a comment, even a critique for our conversation is welcome. Our special guest is Dr. Rod St. Hill, Christian economist. Rod, for those who might be thinking right now, uh, you're talking about a Christian work ethic. How do you just boil that down to something that we can have as a takeaway and I'll remember that when I'm working hard in my job uh, through the coming week. What do you think a Christian work ethic is? Well, I would have to say that a lot of people, including theologians, would argue that that work ethic, sometimes called the Protestant work ethic or the Puritan work ethic, is about uh, working hard, displaying diligence and innovation in the context of your work. But, But I like to think of it a little bit differently. A Christian work ethic is all about understanding work as a form of worship. It's interesting that the Hebrew word avadar or avoda, depending on how you want to pronounce it, it's variously translated in the Bible as work, service, and worship. And in fact, if you have a look at the books of the law in the Old Testament, there really is no separation between work and worship. So work is actually something which is spiritual. So the the overall ethic that we ought to be taking into our workplace is my work is fundamentally an act of worship. I work for the greater glory of God. So that is the foremost element, I believe, in terms of, of a work ethic. And what that requires of us is that we see our Christian faith as something which applies to the whole of life. It applies not only when we're in our our local assembly on a Sunday morning, it applies when we're within our family context, our household context, our neighbourhood context, our social context more broadly, and also importantly, in our work context. Now, it's, it's from that understanding that our commitment to diligence, to being at work on time, to doing quality work, to treating all of the stakeholders in our work um, with respect and, and neighbour love and so on, all of these things really flow, I think, from an understanding that fundamentally work is worship. Well, you take us into a whole big dimension there when we think that worship is what we do on Sunday when we go to church. Uh, Some might even say with a hybrid church model, it might be what you do on a Sunday in front of your streaming service. Uh, Some will say 
when we talk about giving, that's an act of worship as well. And so now you're broadening that. Uh, for some listeners today is saying, well, this takes it into the reality of what I do Monday through Saturday, not just on a Sunday, there where my work is my worship. And that takes us into a whole new depth. Uh, when you go into this depth, Rod St. Hill, uh, that affects everything that you do, the way you think about the boss. Absolutely. The way you think about what's happening when you're clocked on, the time that you're spending at work, the relationships you have with the other employees, all of a sudden you become responsible in some sense for their pastoral care. You're caring for your fellow employees. Uh, all of those effects make a big difference when you talk about work like worship. Oh, it, it, that, there's no doubt about that, Neil. And a, as a pastor, one of the things I need to cultivate is the attitude that when I look over my own congregation, I'm actually seeing ministers. And and these are people who are ministering. They're ministering in their home, their neighborhood, their social context, whatever that might be. They're ministering in their workplace as well. And uh, when you realize that in work, we get to exercise our imageness in God. We're told way back there in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that we are made in the image of God. Now, to be made in the image of God means, in part, we're, we're creative because God is creative. We're social because, or, or communal because God is community, the idea of the Trinity. We're also purposeful or prophetic because we engage in planning, either planning out the day or maybe strategic planning. We're also moral beings, and when we're in the context of our workplace, we get to exercise morality because what makes us moral beings is the fact that we have choice. God makes choices. He certainly made a choice, for example, to love us regardless. Like God, we have the capacity to make choices. So in our workplace, we make choices every day. And so work is one of those expressions that we are able to avail ourselves of in terms of who we are in Christ. And that's one of the senses in which we minister to other people. We need to help other people see that their work is something which is actually creative. Getting, a, getting to a solution to a problem, that's an exercise of the creative gift that God has placed in every single one of us. I believe that workplaces should be developed as a kind of community because we're together in a, in a workplace, and when you have people together, you have a community. Let's take this uh, a little bit deeper and maybe onto uh, the shop floor or uh, into the workplace where it's a busy office, and uh, community sounds sometimes like warm, fuzzy feelings and an opportunity to just, you know, chat and relate with others on the workplace shop floor. There is a sense here in which your commitment to your work uh, and because you're on the boss's time, you say, well, yes, we're on God's time. We're on the boss's time, though. Your boss might not like your faith at all. How do you fit in on the shop floor when your work is worship? That's a great question. And I think we need to be very careful that we don't rob our employer. That's really, really important. The seventh commandment, of course, was you shall not steal. So we need to be careful that we're not using, as it were, our boss's time to to um, uh, build specific relationships with individuals. That's something to do in your tea breaks, um, perhaps at, at lunchtime, or even sometimes outside of the context of, of, of daily work. But what I would say to people who own businesses or people who are managers is that you do have an opportunity to build community within the workplace. And incidentally, Australians are very well known around the world as being sociable in, in, their, in their workplace, much more so than is the case in many, many other countries. And, and look, for some people, their workplace is the closest they ever experience to community because they've got family issues. We don't really have local neighbourhoods anymore by virtue of the fact that we've got an electronic 
door opener for our garage. We drive our car into the garage, drive it out again next day, and most of us hardly ever actually see our neighbourhood. There's nothing like it used to be in Australia two or three generations ago. So the workplace, I think, has become a really important focus for our witness as Christians. And I don't mean by by saying that, I don't mean that that gives us licence to spend most of the day proselytising. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is building a good relationship with the people around us. And that can often take just a word, just a sentence. How are you going? Can I help you with that task? Let's have lunch together today. Or let's go down to the coffee shop for morning tea together. There are many, many ways in which we can actually become a minister in our workplace. Is it the case it may even be a better witness in the workplace if you, when you clock on, you say to someone who might be asking you a question, even on the quiet, hey, let's talk about some issues here, uh, some faith issues, or usually often a lot of people try to argue with you, a whole lot of things, sure they because do. they know you're a yeah. Christian. Is it there even a better witness to say, look, we're on the boss's time at lunchtime or let's get together after work. We'll talk about those things then. But right now I'm committed to the responsibility that I have in the workplace. Oh, yes. Look, you might you might need to say that to make sure that, that people aren't encroaching on your time, for, for example. But often opportunities will just come along because you are who you are. And I can remember years ago, um, I was in a fairly senior management position and there were a couple of people who said, let's go and have some coffee. I often went for coffee and they said, now, how come you don't need power? Because I was in a position where, where I had formal power, but I very, very rarely ever felt I needed to exercise it. So I explained to them, well, my power comes from God. And I shared with them my faith. Now, they never invited me out for coffee again. <laughs> so I, I might have frightened them off. Yep, yep. Um, but every now and then you get those opportunities. So I, I don't think you, you should wake up in the morning and say, well, how am I going to tell people about the Lord today? I think in the context of our workplace, it should be who we are and the way we work that attracts people to us. But Rod, I want to ask you about a really important element. If we're talking about a Christian work ethic, what about laziness? What about the person in the workplace who is doing all they can to avoid the hard work they're supposed to be doing? A Christian work ethic obviously works against that thought. Oh, yes, it does. And and look, if you look at the, the overall picture in the Bible is one such that, that it's very clear that God has absolutely no patience with indolence or, or laziness. And uh, there are at least 15 references in Proverbs to the consequences of laziness and uh, the consequence is poverty. Now, that's not saying that all poverty is caused by laziness, of course, and uh, God has a real heart for those who are poor through no fault of their own, the widows, the orphans, the sojourners, and and so on. But um, Proverbs makes it abundantly clear. So, for example, Proverbs 10.4 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent, makes rich and so you've got this juxtaposition of laziness or indolence leading to poverty and diligence leading to uh, riches or wealth but um also i think there's um there's a an eternal um consequence of laziness i think it's very significant that in 1 Timothy 5:8 we read but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, that scripture should really make us stop and think. It is so important to God that we work. And the reason is we were created to work. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 18. In verse 15, God put the man in the garden to tend and to keep it, in uh, verse 18, we read that that's where God declares it is not good for man to be alone. And as a consequence, um, Eve comes on the scene. So together, men and women were intended by God before the fall to be working. That's how we actually exercise the blessing of, of dominion. It is so important to God, it has eternal consequences. 
You know, it's amazing, isn't it, how Scripture can stay with you. And I remember right from being a young man, a young Christian, and uh, almost haunted by one Scripture, uh, which contains the words, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, quickly brings poverty upon a man. And uh, there's something important about a recognition that we're not called to be lazy or to avoid hard work, but you've got to set an attitude in there. I guess if you can remember Scripture like that, if it stays with you, it's one of those things that sort of implants itself in your heart and mind. It can hold you in good stead in those times when you are working for an employer and be seen to be someone who is a worthy employee, someone who's a viable employee, someone who's going to keep their job when others might lose it. For sure. Look, there's a concept in economics that we call labour hoarding. And it is observed in all recessions where businesses hang on to their best employees even if that reduces their profit. And uh, this has been observed in most of the recent recessions we're talking 1970s, 80s, and early 1990s. There was another mini-recession at the end of the year 2000. Australia missed out, but most other countries had a recession then. Uh, it's generally observed that businesses will hang on to their good employees, and they do that because it costs a lot of money to replace them a bit further down the track when economic times improve. So if you are known to be a diligent accurate, pleasant worker, chances are you will retain your job whereas others might lose their job. So, And, and I hear this conversation all the time and I've often got to restrain uh, bosses sometimes by saying, now there are legal and illegal ways of dealing with this and um, I, I go through with them how you can legally let go those people who are not really contributing, and retain those who who are. And, and I actually think that's biblical. There, there is no reward for laziness. That's not in God's design at all. So laziness is one thing. Another issue that comes to mind is this thought of being corrupt. Uh, we can find scriptures about corruption too, uh, but having ethics in the workplace, uh, the way you conduct yourself while you are on the job, uh, an honest and trustworthy employee, someone who'll defend uh, the uh, ownership of the boss of their business, someone who'll actually work to enhance the reputation of the boss rather than undermine uh, the reputation of the boss. Those are the sorts of ethics that shape the Christian mindset too. Definitely. Look, of course, your boss is your neighbour. And uh, Jesus said himself, this is the second greatest commandment, love your neighbour as you love yourself. So you've got to see your boss as well as the people you're working with as as your neighbor. So you need to exercise neighbor love towards your boss. And that might mean that at times you've got to be patient. You've got to be forbearing. You should be praying for your boss and praying for your business. Or if you're working for a government department, pray for the minister, pray for the, the head who's in charge of your department or whatever it happens to be. Um, and, and, and I actually think working well for your boss is actually a manifestation of neighbour love in any case. We were talking just before the news about how you conduct yourself in the workplace when you're on the boss's time, and that's not a time, as you were sharing, Rod, to be proselytising your neighbouring employees. And we said maybe you should just hold back there and set a time in your lunch break or after work there is a thought, though, and uh, this might be really for employers, uh, that when you do have a Christian in the workplace, one who's got their head screwed on right and is actually a caring and good employee, that those conversations that happen in the workplace when someone's going through a relationship breakup or they're going through all sorts of issues and maybe they're not able to pay the bills and however that might be working for them, there is a pastoral care that happens one employee to the other. This is something that is innately part of the Christian believer. Oh, yes. You do have to exercise wisdom. But every now and then, essentially, someone will actually give you permission to pastor them or to speak into, into their life. 
And I can give you a concrete example of someone in my own congregation who works for a business, not a Christian business. As far as I know, she's the only Christian in that that business. But um, one of the senior people there has some um, issues with with immunity, and so even catching the common cold is something which is very serious for this person. But that person knows that she and others in the church are actually praying for them. And so it can be as simple sometimes as assuring somebody, listen, we're praying for you. And sometimes people will come up to you and ask you to pray for them. So I think this is an area in which we really do need to exercise a great deal of wisdom and to have the confidence that the Holy Spirit will guide us in each situation. So there's nothing worse really than a Christian who comes through the door and then spends all day trying to talk everyone else into becoming Christians. It's not a very effective form of evangelism and in all likelihood you'll lose your job because you're not seen as a productive and worthwhile employee. Let me ask you about ambition in the workplace because we might be ambitious and looking to climb the ladder and sometimes when we think of climbing the ladder we're thinking of stepping on others as we move ahead. Is there a Christian ethic that you can apply there because obviously ambition to move into a place of influence uh, and leadership and being the boss in your workplace is actually a good thing but how you get there. Is there an issue here, Rod? Yes, I think there's no doubt in my mind that ambition is part of Christian philosophy. I think it's part of our religion, as it were, to aspire to something better. But of course, the end doesn't necessarily justify the means. So we need to be careful that we're not hurting others as we work towards achieving our ambition. I think what we need to understand is that ultimately God is our employer. Ultimately, God is the one who promotes. So I think it's fair enough for us to pray, for example, that God would show us exactly how to behave in the workplace, how to relate to those around us, including our bosses, and how to write, say, an application for a promotion. And and I can I can remember times when, when I've applied for a new job or a promotion where God has made it very clear to me that I need to take a couple of days from my annual leave in order to write the application. I distinctly remember that. So I, I, I applied for two days off my annual leave. So I went on leave from work. I didn't try and do it in my work time. And I spent the two days diligently working on an application. Now, I won't tell you the end of that story because, unfortunately, I wasn't <laughs> successful. Um, but, but God taught me a lot of lessons out of that. But, but I think that's the sort of thing we need to do. And see, ultimately, this is all about our walk with God. Ambition is good. I do believe it is part of our faith as Christians. But we need to understand that ultimately it is God who is in charge of our career. And ultimately, God is the one who, who promotes us. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Brendan in Serena in North Queensland. Hi, Brendan. Welcome along. Hello, Neil again. Neil back again. Brendan, hey, good to hear so, from you. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, well, as I stand here, I'm actually in the middle of a cane paddock picking, picking up rocks. And I n- have noticed from my readings of the Bible that the Bible has a lot to say about how uh, sl- for slaves, like actually for them specifically working in their environment. And I've always felt that that could be very easily applied to a Christian employee as I am. And a lot of it's fairly general. I'm sure you could, um, if you're a minister, you could find some more specific things. But there was one verse, I think it's in Romans, I can't remember exactly where, which says that if... You do not need to know what your master is doing. Just do it. And it's, that, that's, that struck me, and I've applied it. And I've noticed from people around me that they get nosy and they always ask questions about what they do, or they get mad because they're not told what they're doing on the day. And I don't. And I think that has helped greatly in just being a good employee. Brendan, good insight. Uh, your thoughts, Rod? 
yes, I, I, I agree with you that a lot of the um, concepts that are applied to slaves in the New Testament uh, can apply to the context of us as workers today. I think one of the things that is helpful in this respect, if we understand that being a slave in New Testament times was quite different to our concept of slavery today, and that uh, being a slave was not that much different to being an employee, although they didn't have the same freedom to resign as as we do. But the the scripture that that Neil read out at the top of the hour and uh, at the beginning of our session was from Colossians 3, and uh, it refers to bond servants, and that's a particular kind of slave. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So that's the God focus. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. So you're serving the Lord in your work. So in your case, picking up rocks in a cane paddock, you're actually serving the Lord and you're bringing him glory and you're actually building up his reputation in the earth because you are an ambassador of of Christ. And um, so that verse goes on, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And I think that's the idea which is wrapped up in this notion that it's not our role to always be questioning what the business, the company, the government department I work for is requiring of me, because we are fundamentally servants, and we need to have that servant heart. Brendan, thank you so much for your call. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, bye. Okay. And uh, picking up stones in a cane field. Uh, thanks to Brendan's boss, if Brendan's not the boss, uh, for uh, allowing Brendan to make a call. Yeah. And maybe he didn't, I don't know. But, uh, you know, there's a certain sense in which even making a call into a talkback radio program might be on the boss's time. And so uh, not casting any aspersions there. But uh, thank well, you that's so all much, right. Brendan. Look, um, there, there is some research to suggest that those short breaks actually improve productivity. <laughs> it's true. It's and true. So and uh, Brendan there honouring his boss, which was very good. Uh, just to pick up on what you're saying here, Rod, uh, there's a certain kingdom mentality in our work. So not questioning what the boss is doing. We might not be privy to the boss's purpose and strategic plans for uh, uh, reaching his or her goals. Uh, we're uh, employed to do a job and to do it diligently, there's a certain sense in which sometimes we could recognise that kingdom is actually not the same as a democracy. Uh, God doesn't let us in on his eternal purposes as clearly as we might like to know. He's got an eternal purpose in mind. Uh, There's a certain sense in which that can apply to the boss who's paying our wage. Uh, we don't necessarily need to know everything that's going on, and we don't necessarily have a democratic vote as to whether we do what the boss asks us to. No, no, not at all. I, I, I don't believe Christianity is about democracy. It is about freedom, and in that sense, democracy has a part in the political realm. But I think it's a little bit different in the in the workplace. I do, however, believe very strongly that management should seek to tap into the wisdom and the experience and qualifications of as many of their employees as they possibly can when they're dealing with things like developing or revising a strategic plan, uh, working on their annual operational plans, working on their budget and so on. But nevertheless, the decision-making sticks at the top. And I think there's a principle there too, of course, where you might recall Jethro's instructions to, to Moses. Moses was trying to do everything and Jethro said, look, this is no good because you're wearing yourself out and you're also wearing the people out. You need to go and select people and you put some people in charge of the tens, the twenties, the fifties, the hundreds and so on so that only the most difficult cases come to you. And that establishes the idea of hierarchy. And so I, I don't think God has a problem with the hierarchical nature of most organisations. I think it is wise to tap into the the, the knowledge and the experience and so on 
of as many of your workers as you possibly can. So I recall I was working for a Christian organisation at one point. We were doing some strategic planning and I said, listen, you need to go and ask the gardener, you know, because that guy spends a lot of time sitting on a ride on mower. You don't know what the Holy Spirit is showing him about our organisation as he prays and mows. And, and quite frankly, I was in a much more senior position and it, it just might have been that somebody like the gardener did more praying than I did. And uh, what's to say the Holy Spirit isn't going to show the humble gardener right at the bottom of the hierarchy, so to speak, What's to say the Holy Spirit isn't going to show that person something about the future of your organization or your business simply because the gardener was taking the time to pray and to hear from God? So I think it's essential that we harvest all of that wisdom, all of the God speaking to people that we possibly can, but nevertheless, the responsibility for the decisions still remains with the people you've referred to as the bosses. Time's running short, but let's squeeze one more call in. Sean is in Rochdale in Queensland. Hi, Sean. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Very well. What are your thoughts? That's right. Great, uh, great conversation. Um, I've got to give the credit here to Mandy Warby, actually. Uh, Mandy actually expounded on the term slave in the Bible. And as a slave in those times, um, the owner would actually supply all their needs their clothing, whatever they needed to do, the job, everything. And I thought, at the time, I could see that parallel with working as a, as a truck driver in the industry, as a Christian truck driver. And it's always, uh, as a struggle sometimes, but then you got to, okay, Lord, I've got to trust you. Even that I've got to write down what's true in my logbook every day and that you try and do the right thing because you're being watched. But... As they were saying, like people stand around talking about the, the you know, proselytizing and stuff like that. But if we do, like the example of Jesus, where we just go out and do the job and we do it as a professional and everything else, um, the others go, "Oh, that's a Christian," um, oh, and they're really bewildered. And when they see it in action, they cannot deny it. That's the biggest thing. Wonderful insight, Sean. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, everyone did the right thing? You had the Christian boss who was uh, governing with this sort of servanthood leadership and saw the all the needs of the employee, and then you had the employee responding in such a way as uh, you know, acting in integrity and trustworthiness and working hard and and uh, working for the boss in that way. Uh, any thoughts here for Sean? Oh, he's on the right track, or Mandy was certainly on the right track. As I said a little earlier, we shouldn't think of slaves in the New Testament in the same way that we think of modern slavery today. It was really quite a different thing. And when you think about it, back in those days, there weren't a lot of options for a career. And um, the idea of the bond servant, of course, was someone who had the opportunity to take their freedom. They look around, you can be a soldier, a farmer, a prostitute, <laughs> Or a slave. There weren't many other options, or you could have been an artisan. Um, so the bond servant was actually someone who said, you know what? I don't want my freedom. I want to remain a slave. And so the bond servant had a responsibility to work for their master, but the master had a responsibility to provide everything that the bond servant needed. And that's why us Christians are referred to as bond servants of God. Because we give everything to him, we work for him, and he takes it as his responsibility to provide everything that we have need of. Sean, I'll pass your compliment on to Mandy Warby. Sean from Rochdale, thanks for your call. We have run out of time, uh, Rod. If we were putting the icing on the cake, uh, a last word, a last thought. Um, any, uh, let me just uh, sew into this for a moment, uh, it's not a get-rich plan when you cut corners and do things in a lazy way or expect that everything will be handed to you on a platter. Sometimes this is the ethic that some people hold to. It's not a Christian work ethic. God has got a uh, prosperity plan for you, and it comes around uh, stewardship of the gift that he's given to you and working according to these 
virtues and ethics that we glean from being followers of Christ. Uh, so if you're looking for success into your future, Rod, uh, a, a thought or two just as we top things off. Uh, we're talking about a Christian work ethic today. Uh, what are your thoughts about moving forward from here? Um, yes, look, Neil, I do, I do believe that, that God desires that we prosper. Usually that prospering comes through work. It doesn't usually come through a, a you know miracle money arriving in our letterbox. That happens occasionally. The only other thing I would like to say, Neil, is we're focused very much on working hard, being diligent, being innovative, and so on in the workplace. One of the issues that we discovered with the Puritan work ethic was that work itself became an idol, and we do need to be very careful that we don't take it so far that our work becomes the focus and not God. Yes, the thought of workaholism, and God has a remedy for that too, insofar as a Sabbath day of yes. rest. Uh, so work diligently on those six days, observe the rest, so that it is uh, something that short-circuits the possibility Absolutely. of you Absolutely. burning out as yes. a workaholic. Uh, Dr. Rodson Hill, our guest today, Christian economist, and to connect with Rod, uh, perhaps best to go through your church website, ignitelifechurch.com. No, 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 there... wrong one. <laughs> no, I've it's got ign- the wrong one? No, no, it's, it's ignite.church. All right, we've got an yeah, yeah, yeah. update on ignite. that. Ignite.church. It's, it's really simple to remember. Okay. Uh, you can actually get there through the other website, but um, that's that's a direct link to our website. So it's just ignite.church. There's an update since last time we spoke. <laughs> Ignite.church. Easy to connect with Dr. Rod St. Hill. And, uh, and Rod, uh, you know, some of these other things that you do, uh, Ignite Life Business. Uh, I imagine that sometimes you're on Zoom uh, doing some We do uh, that teaching. a little bit, yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, you're uh, on this Council for Business and Theology at the World Evangelical Alliance. Perhaps some p- possibilities for people connecting there. Oh, yes, yep. Okay, so uh, Ignite.Church. Dr. Rod St. Hill, uh, thanks so much, Rod, for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's been great to be with Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.